Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our fall series, Created, Made for More, focusing our hearts toward biblical manhood and womanhood. God's beautiful design will lead us toward the flourishing He intends for us. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 30, uh, 24 through 31. Uh, we're in week two. Everybody say week two. We're in week two of a series called Created, Made for More. And what we started and delved into last week for um, the very first week was what, how do we define, and the question we're trying to answer is this, what does biblical manhood and biblical womanhood look like? What does that look like in 2020? And uh, so what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And, and last week I brought up Mount Holyoke College, um, but one of, the other, um, I, one of the other statistics that I scrapped is that um, one of the reasons we know there's some issues to talk about here and that culture is defining uh, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman differently is because if you go on Facebook and sign up, there are 70 different genders you can select. Did you know that? Yeah, over 70. And it just points us to the fact that there are lots of people wrestling and questioning and wondering about how God created them, about who they were created to be. Have you ever had those questions? Have you ever wondered, man, who has God created me to be? And what we uh, said last week is that we just covered one verse last week. And that took a, we, 40 minutes of one verse. And today I've got seven. I'm just, it's not going to be that long, I promise. It won't correlate. But what we said is that the, the very first sentence of all of Scripture and everything the rest of Scripture is based off of is this thought. That in the beginning, God created, everybody say created, the heavens and the earth. And we said this, we said that since God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth, our origin, purpose, and design are all in that sentence. Everything. We find our origin, purpose, and design in God. Everything. Uh, where, who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to act? Who, why was I created? We find those answers in God. And then we said at the very end that when we're navigating tricky issues like this, and for some of you, it is not tricky. And I would say for most. But what we also said last week is that if the church is to be anything, it is to be a safe place for broken people. In this discussion, if we need to be anything as the body of Christ, we should be a safe place for those uh, sexually broken and, and gender confused. All of them are welcome here because God, hear me, created them in his and that's what we're going to talk about today is in his image. 
And so because God was all that was at the beginning, God is our fixed point. So when we're trying to navigate and figure out how do we get to who we're created to be, what kind of man, what kind of woman, what kind of boy, what kind of girl, what are we supposed to be? We focus and fix our eyes on the Lord. We can navigate biblical manhood and womanhood by using God as our fixed point of reference. Before we dive into the scripture, let me just give you, <laughs> let me give you just a picture into the Peyton household. Anybody want to go with me? Yeah. My wife doesn't even want to go there. She, she's like, I'm out. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. At our house, there's me, Carl. Uh, and if you don't know who I am, I am the lead pastor here. I forget to introduce myself every week. To most, I'm just Carl. And uh, so there's Carl, husband, dad, grass cutter, trash taker outer, after three or four yellings. (laughs) Why is that funny? That's not even a joke. I didn't even write that down as a joke. That's not playing on my weaknesses this morning. So there's me. There's my wife, Kirsten. There's my five-year-old who just left, Macy, and then little McKinley is sitting right here asleep. We also have um, two cats, uh, Maddox and Peanut, uh, and a dog named CJ, and God rest in peace, a a beta fish that my daughter fed for an entire week after it had already started floating. We didn't have the heart to tell her. She just kept feeding. What was her name? Elsa. Yeah. Let me pose a question here. Should we hit hard times? The bottom falls out. We're broke. The bottom just completely falls out, and we've got to make some decisions. We've got to cut some costs. Who goes first? See? See, CJ? The cats? Anybody? Cat. You know what no one said? Kirsten! Let me tell you something. Kirsten cost me more money than both cats and the dog combined. Mm, Hey, 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 hey. We're not trying to have any marital disputes in here today. I don't need any more, you know, I I, I don't need, don't be the Holy Spirit for your spouse today, okay? We'll just say that. Now, why why is that? Why is it that we automatically assume we're going to get rid of the dog? I mean, um, the dog or the cat's. Why is that? Because, because it's not, it's obviously not a mathematical thing, right? It's not a mathematical deal because mathematically there's other people that have to go. So it's not a math, so we don't make that decision mathematically, right? No, 
there's something else. There's another reason. He can't be, it can't be an obedience thing because the dog, you know, CJ's pretty good at, at obedience. The five, my five-year-old's gone. If that, if that is the measure, no. God created mankind and womankind distinct and above all of created order. There's something different about you and I than the, all the rest of creation. And that's what we're talking about today. I want to peel back for just a moment our origin and show you just how special you are. But I don't want you to think you're too special because you are often uh, prone to make yourself God. So I don't, I don't want to make your, you feel too special. But you were created in the very image of God. So let's read together. Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in, uh, uh, in the pew back in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that home. It's our gift to you. But I want you to turn. It's the very first page of the Bible. We're going to start Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And it says, Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Can I take a pause for a second? Can you imagine if he created animals of the same kind to make animals of a different kind? Wouldn't that be weird? Like two dogs and a kangaroo comes out of it? He could have done it, but he didn't. Sorry, that's it's not in the sermon. I'm sorry. That was free. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, and that is what happened. Watch this. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. 
Genesis chapter 1, 24 through 31 are completely different than the rest of the verse. So God speaks light, night, heaven, earth, all of it, just like that. He speaks a word, comes into existence, and then he says, it's good. But we, what we experience here in 24 through 31 is a, a, a picture of something different happening. So this, there's this rhythm that's happening, and there's a break in the rhythm where God, it's almost like they take a time out. They've created all there is, and then God, we see, this is the first place we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all come together, and they say, let us Make man in our image. None of the rest of creation got this. In our image. And, the, and this in his image is so prevalent, he had to state it over and over and over again. In 27, he says it twice. In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. This is where we get the very first concept of the Imago Dei. Everybody say Imago Dei. It's fun to say. And that rhymed. Did you see that? Okay. Well, tap your neighbor and say, wake up. Y'all need to hang with me today. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. The Imago Dei is the term used theologically to reference the image of God birthed, created, placed in each one of us. The image of God in you and I. And that is completely different. And so, uh, let's give the Imago Dei a definition. The Imago Dei is God's investment in humanity of God-like glory and moral capacity to rule and reign as his representatives. I'll read it again. The Imago Dei is God's investment in humanity of God-like glory and moral capacity to rule and reign as his representatives. You see, um, I would liken it to back in the day um, when an empire would rule several different areas and provinces, what they would do is they would erect a statue or what they would call an icon right in the middle of the town that they, of each town that's ruled of the person who has authority and reign. So that people would know who's in control. That is you and I. We are his image bearers here Declaring his rule and reign here on the earth. Now, I noticed um, three, just to peel this back a little bit, three differences here between us and the rest of creation. Three main differences. Now, and I'll just compare myself to my dog, CJ. There are a lot of similarities. That's not a joke. We have got to work on this. Uh, you guys can't be laughing at things that aren't jokes because then I get really insecure. No, I'm just playing. Um, we both have eyes. Um, we both get kicked out of the house from time to time. 
I'm just kidding. That's not true. Sometimes. No, that's not true. Um, we, we both enjoy food. Yeah? Yeah. See, I'm getting amens already. There are definitely some likenesses. However, there are many big, large differences. Um, and, and here are the three. One, our relationship with God is different. Our relationship with our ability to seek the Lord is much different than the rest of creation. All right? CJ is not laying in his bed at night pleading for the hearts of his children. Um, one, because he doesn't have any. Uh, we cut him off before he could, could do that. Um, but he doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't. Um, he, he doesn't fast. He doesn't have any desire to pursue things above. He doesn't miss his mom. He doesn't, he doesn't, none of that applies to him. Um, he doesn't feel shame. Now, before you pull me aside out in the foyer and tell me about how your dog did something bad and he was cowering over in the corner, let me just tell you, maybe that's because the last time he pooped on your carpet, you like thrust him out the back door or you rubbed his nose in it, right? Maybe that's why. I'll tell you why, and here's how we know it's not shame. Because when you let him back in, y'all are best friends. I mean, you might not like him, but he definitely, he doesn't even remember. He's not three days later going, man, I wish I hadn't done that. He's not. He's different. Our relationship with God is much different. Our relationship with the rest of creation is different. We see here in the text that we, image bearers of Christ, are to rule and reign, to subdue the earth, to have dominion. And so CJ's not telling me what to do. He's not. It is our command, and, and I'll say this just kind of as a side note. This is why Christians shouldn't stand for animal abuse. We should be shepherding the creation of God. This is why Christians shouldn't be the people that just throw, you know, just destroy the earth. We, we should be concerned about creation. It is a marker of our dominion. It is a marker and call for us to take care of the things that God has created. CJ's not responsible for that. You and I are. And then lastly, our relationship with each other is different. You see, there's some things that can happen in between animals and other animals that between humans and humans, it just doesn't match up. For, for instance, um, a lion goes and kills another lion. Everybody says, oh, well, that makes sense. That's what lions do. It doesn't apply to humans that way, right? Why? Why is it that our first gut instinct was to get rid of the dogs and cats, but not my wife or the kids? It's because everyone, whether you recognize God exists or not, whether you're an atheist, whether you're uh, agnostic, you recognize that humans have value. So even in your acknowledgement that humans have this dignity and worth and value that nothing else has, that that is God-given and you are created with it. 
Even in Genesis 9 and verse 6, it says this. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Why? For God made human beings in his own image. Nobody's going to be shocked or appalled if I say that I love a steak. Right? Nobody's going to. Now, there are, there are a few. There's, pro, there's some folks out there that when I say I eat steak, they're like, oh, you do? Yeah. Medium rare. Anything more than that, if I wanted to chew on rubber, I'd just give me some rubber bands. Yeah, that's good preaching. I know. They don't have souls. They don't have souls. And so what I just want to point to for a moment is what is the implications of understanding that the image of God is born in all mankind? What are the implications? What does that have to do with me, Pastor Carl? Why does that matter? Let me tell you something. You know, there was a day and time um, in ancient cultures where if you were born with a, um, an affliction or uh, a mental illness or some kind of physical um, handicap, uh, they would just kill you because you weren't elite. Okay? You, 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 you were broken. You weren't meant to be. This is not a Christian thought. It's not a Christian thought. Because, look, Michael Witten, who is not here today, he's probably watching online. Michael Witten, what's up, brother? Michael Witten sits in his chair right up here and will outsing our PA system. And he is bound to that wheelchair. He's bound. He can't live life on his own, but yet he has more value than secretariat. Right? There's a reason, and it's because the image of God is born in him. I like quoting atheists in my sermons because I love when atheists acknowledge God and they don't even know it. Last week, I talked about Paul McHugh, head of the gender reassignment um, department, was at one time at Johns Hopkins. Now, today, I'll quote Nietzsche. Nietzsche, famous philosopher, okay? One of his most famous quotes is this, God is dead. That's one of his most famous quotes. And watch what, this is another quote from Nietzsche, okay, ready? And I'm, I'm sure it, it was like mud coming out of his mouth to say it. He said, another Christian concept, but one no less crazy, is the concept of equality of souls before God. This concept, concept furnished the prototype for all theories of equal rights. Here's Nietzsche, a guy who believes God doesn't exist, saying the very good and right things being birthed out of the equality of human beings and souls was the prototype for all equal rights. What am I saying? How we view humanity matters. Hear this preacher today. How you view your neighbor, the people you work with, Strangers walking up and down Route 10 matters. Because look, 
This is not a place for the holy, holier than, than thou types, okay? Because you know that you drive up and down the road and you've been guilty of at one time saying, oh, what did they do? You know what? They probably deserve, you know, they, these guys sitting out here on corners begging. I wish they'd just leave me alone. You're already thinking poorly about people you don't even know and the image of God is born in them. The things you think about your neighbors, your own family, what are the implications of understanding that God is within us? There are implications, and they're day-to-day implications, not just lofty thoughts. So, for one, if all human beings are image bearers, say image bearers. If all human beings are image bearers, it shapes how we view abortion. If we believe that the image of God is born in all creation, then it shapes how we view abortion. And I'll tell you why. Because we believe that life begins at conception. Right? And look, science, it used to be like this science battle. Like, oh, it's not a life. Um, uh, First, it, there is no life at conception. And then they'll say, oh, it's a life, um, but it's just a, it's a flesh, it's just fetus. Now, the argument is no longer, it's not life. It is, well, the, the, the life of the mother is more valuable than the life of the child. Now, there are some circumstances around both lives being at risk. And look, those are trickier than I'm willing to dive into today. But it shapes how we view abortion. And we said this back at Sanctity of Life Sunday in January. If we're going to be people who believe the image of God is born in all mankind, we, we can't just be people that are for the baby. We also have to be people that are for the mom that had to make a hard decision, who's caught in a bad place because she's also an image bearer. She's also maybe feeling broken about it. Now listen, 90-some percent of all abortions are convenience. But if we understand the image of God is born in all mankind, it shapes how we look at abortion. It shapes how we look at trafficking. It shapes how we look at slavery. You know, this very book was used years ago to promote slavery, that slavery was okay. This very book. A twisting. Because at the very beginning, the very first chapter, what do we find? All men and women, male and female, he created them with his image. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Dred Scott decision. Dred Scott, um, back in the 1860s, uh, tried to sue for his freedom. He was a slave. He tried to sue for the freedom of his family. And he lost the lawsuit in the Supreme Court. He lost the lawsuit. Didn't gain his freedom. By a seven to two decision. One of the dissenting um, two votes was from a justice named John McLean. And this is, what, this is why he dissented. Listen. A slave is not mere chattel. He bears the empress of his maker and he is destined to an endless existence. 
Why? Why did he dissent? The image of God within all mankind. It shapes how we look at slavery. And in that case, we also have to say it should shape how we look at racial injustice. And look, I know it's an uncomfortable conversation for some, but I've got to tell you that I've got friends who are pastors. I'm thinking of one specifically. He's a black pastor. He's married to a white woman. They've been married for years. Lovely, incredible couple. He has on multiple occasions been pulled over. Okay, this, And I know this situation is, this particular situation is used a lot, and it's primarily because it happens a lot. So he will get pulled over told to get out of his car, he walks back to the back of the vehicle while his partner goes around to the passenger side and asks his white wife if she is there of her own accord. Not once, not twice, three times. We have witnessed, especially in days past, that it seems like Christians want to be politically right more than they want to see the image of God in their brothers and sisters. And so, forgive me for a moment, I have to press in that we are not called to be more political than we are Christian, to be more Republican than Democrat. To to be one thing or the other, we are called to be Christians. And by Christian, I mean recognizing the image of God born in our neighbors. Black, Asian, Native American. You know I'm Native American. And I've got a card to prove it. Look, some of y'all are like, you ain't Native American. Yes, I am. I've got a card. I pay taxes. Some of y'all don't believe me. I'm like Chuck Norris, though. It's, it's like without all the senses and the cool roundhouse kicks. We want to sit back and look at these riots. So let, 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 me, let me say this first. I don't condone violence. Trashing of property don't condone any of that, but let me, let me just give you some perspective real quick. When you strip a man or a woman of their God-given dignity and value for hundreds and hundreds of years, at some point, you begin to see undignified actions. You want to treat someone undignified? How are they going to act? Undignified. So no, I don't condone all of it, but for us as Christians to sit back and condemn, 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 rather than say, listen, I'm not for all this, but what I will say is you are being wronged, and I I have never experienced it myself. However, and and this is such a crazy argument. Well, I've never experienced it. Well, for those who are white, probably not. And let me tell you this, because some of you might not come back next Sunday, and I'm okay with that, because if you have a problem with this, you have a problem with Scripture, not me. 
And this church is no place for racism or racial injustice. It shapes how we look at pornography. This thought that people are there for our usage. People are there to help us or to... It's just wickedness. Wherever the image of God is not recognized, there is sin and abuse. We see it all up and down Jeff Davis Highway. Kids crawling around in in, in drug-infested rooms. Let me tell you something. When there's no recognition of the value of God in yourself, you will treat yourself that way. And you will treat those around you that way. It is. What are the implications? It's everywhere. And it's, and it's not just race. Or, it's also gender. Are you listening? Look at you. I can't see. She, she brought her to staff meeting this week. I can't pay attention to nothing. That little face right there. I have more in common with a two-year-old slave girl in India than I have with CJ. And some of you might say, oh, that's, that's a weird comparison. Well, some of you might think, well, CJ lives in your house. He, he lives in America. He's, he's used to American dogs and grass and I don't know, just whatever. You have a lot in common with CJ. No, I have more in common with a two-year-old slave girl in India than I will ever have with CJ. Why? Because of the image of God. The image of God will push against your sinful heart. The reason some of you are sitting in the pew today wrestling with some of the things I'm saying is because The Holy Spirit is trying to wrestle out in you some things. And I want you to let God wrestle it out. Hear me today. If you've come here just to hear a couple jokes and a good song, you're coming for the wrong reasons. If you don't leave here convicted by the Holy Spirit to change, we say this a lot, there are much better hobbies Go play a round of golf because you'll, you'll have way better time than sitting here being convicted by the Holy Spirit for the sin in your heart. And there is sin in your heart today. Oh, yeah. A right biblical understanding of the Imago Dei will shape a right understanding of biblical manhood and, and biblical womanhood. As we're getting, I'm getting ready to transition. We talked about in the beginning, God, how it all started, and we've just finished peeling apart some about origin and the image of God. This should shape, I'm gonna bridge us into what's coming in the coming weeks. So, in the coming weeks, the next three weeks after today, we're talking about man's purpose, man's challenges, and man's redemption. 
Then we're gonna take a week and talk about how man was incomplete. God created man, man was incomplete, so he created women. And then we will take three weeks and talk about women's purpose. What could go wrong there? White guy preaching about women's purpose. We'll see. Women's purpose, women's challenges, women's redemption. And then we'll close the series with this, Together for the Gospel. But in order for us to understand everything to come, we have to understand this Imago Dei image of God category. Because the image of Imago Dei is true, this is how men must view women. Men must think biblically of women and push against the stereotypes that women are only sexual creatures and here as servants. Men must think biblically of women and treasure them as sisters, co-heirs, daughters of the king, and glorious. Not dismissing them intellectually and robbing them of the right to exercise their gifts within God's beautiful design. If we understand his image, men, whether single or married, must think rightly about them being representatives of God made in his image and fulfilling his purposes. And in the same way, women must think biblically about men and push against stereotypes of men being idiot Neanderthals. You laugh, but think of every cartoon you've ever watched. One of the longest running ones was The Simpsons. My parents, uh, some of y'all just judged me instantly because you think I watch this. Look, I see you. I see you judging eyes out there. No, I don't watch The Simpsons. And my, par- my, my parents wouldn't even let me watch Wishbone. Y'all don't even know what Wishbone is, do you? Wishbone was a little dog. Little, what kind of dog was he? He was a little dog, and he would transport through time. My grandma said it was witchcraft, so she wouldn't let me watch it. But if you look at any male character in any cartoon series, he is portrayed to be a complete moron. And I am not saying that men can't be morons. Stop nudging your husbands. Stop, stop. Don't don't glare across the room. But all of them come across as high-functioning morons. Now, women need to push back against that. That men have the image of God born in them. We, I say this in marriage counseling all the time, and me and my wife talk about it all the time, but um, spouses need to be um, uh, experts in your spouse's strengths, not in their weaknesses. You need to be experts in their strengths, not their weaknesses. And so often, I think we do a really good job of pointing out all the bad in each other and never seeing the strengths. Women must think biblically about men and have high expectations about how men approach them and honor them as sisters. Hear me, women, today. 
You should have high expectations of the men around you and how they approach you, how they value you. All the, all the men in the room are like, man, I'm going to have to go home with her now. Yeah, yeah, you will. Women must think biblically about men. Now listen, women, whether single or married, must think rightly about you being a representative of God made in his image and fulfilling his purposes. Where does this go? And I'm getting ready to close. Can I tell you what I pictured? I think in pictures. The image of God and Christians having a complete understanding of that, I'll tell you what it changes. Every Tuesday and Thursday that they go out to the hotels, I just keep praying that the image of God, they would awaken to the image of God, all these folks living out on Jeff Davis, Midlothian Turnpike. And that, well, what would the world look like if all of a sudden all the clientele dried up? What if these married men stopped going down to Jeff Davis to find something for the night? What if people started understanding that they bear the image of God and all of a sudden they don't want to shoot up in their arms things that are going to hurt them? I imagined what it would look like for Christian community to, instead of seeking to be right, we would seek to love our neighbor first. That all of a sudden we see the mentally ill differently, those who don't look or act like us differently. Ephesians 6 tells us that we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That we would aim our guns, our spiritual guns and prayers towards the right things and not each other. Ultimately, everybody say ultimately. Ultimately, God's design if, if we can do this, if we, if we can see the image of God in each other, if we can do that, if we can realize that our origin, purpose, all of it is found in God and God alone, that God's design will lead to the flourishing of men and women. It will lead to your flourishing. I want to take some time to pray today. I know there's many prayer requests in the room, and obviously my main prayer is that you wouldn't miss this opportunity to live like the Lord has called us to. That you would allow yourself for a moment to think, am I a product of my environment or am I a product of the gospel? Because let me tell you something. 
I was raised in a completely different culture than this over here. And I had to realize real quick what things I was doing, thinking, and saying that were a product of what I grew up in and not a product of Scripture. You realize this. You understand that there are things you do say and understand that are not products of this. And my prayer today is that God would awaken inside of you those things. That God would change and do something in you so powerful that you leave here different. I'm not after like some shallow surface level here, do A, B, and C. I'm I'm after God changing your heart. That's what his scripture is after. And so they're going to play and and sing. And uh, I want you to take just a moment. um, And and I don't know, I kind of feel led to do this. If you... I'm not, look, I'm not going to do the whole, if you're a racist, stand up, you know, we'll pray for you thing. Because some of y'all are nervous about that altar call. You're like, I don't know, bro. But today I feel like there's some in here who have a need from the Lord. Maybe it has nothing to do with this. Maybe you're good here. But I think there's people in here who need healing, who need to feel God's presence, who need wounds healed. And we're going to start, well, we want to start doing response times again, but until then, here's what I want you to do. If you have any need related to this or not, completely separate, If you have a need that you want to bring to the Lord and you want us to pray about today, I want you to stand up. Yeah, look at that. All over the room. And as he plays, I want to spend just a moment praying for you and then they're going to sing and then we're going to leave. But I don't want to leave this service without you knowing that we love you and we're praying for you. Would you, no matter what it is today, family situations, friend situations, relationships, things are complicated, finances are tight. Would you, and and for those who are still seated, would you just throw your hand towards the person closest to you and just help me pray for them? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I lay before you those who are standing in front of me with needs that you know. Father, needs that you are aware of. And today, Lord, we lay before you every need. Every need from finances to physical ailments to mental ailments to deep heart-level wounds that they're trying to recover from, family situations that still need your redemption and reconciliation, friends that we want to come to know you, family members that we're praying come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
the weak, for the depressed, for those who are just in need this morning of your presence. I pray right now, God, the capable, trustworthy God that you are, that you would send your Holy Spirit to do and work and move, and we trust you. God, your word tells us that you are a God who does not lie, and so we can run into your arms with every one of our needs because there is no need too hard, no struggle too long, no hurt too deep that you can't reach and heal. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We receive that today, God. We are looking to you for perseverance in the fight, for tender hearts as your Holy Spirit convicts, that we would lean into you, not away from you when we feel you shifting things in our spirit. That we would cling to the cross of Christ where there is much freedom to be found. And if there are those watching online today or in this room who do not know you, Jesus, Father, I pray right now that they would accept you as their personal Savior, that they would commit and, uh, and make you Lord of their life, that they would ask you for forgiveness of their sins, and they would just run into your grace and mercy this morning, today. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.